than ever with our calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit for wisdom, clarity, understanding. I ask, Lord, that right now as we are here, that it be you speaking and not I. As we look at today, the last couple of weeks, we looked at how to minister to people and how we don't have to be salesmen and how don't we, have to, we don't have to be saints. Well, today we have, we're looking at the fact that we don't have to be the entire process. And so we're asking right now for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Find your way to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. And while you're making your way there, I mentioned this in a prayer, but you know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been discussing how is it that we're going to share Christ with others. Understand, if we really believe that Christ is coming soon to take us home, if we genuinely believe that, then why is it that we aren't telling many more people about it? There are many people out there that have no idea. And so we talked about the fact that you don't have to be a salesman when it comes to sharing Christ. Last time we talked about not having to be a saint. Well, today we're going to talk about the fact that you don't have to be the entire process. I don't know if you've ever <clears throat> worked in, in, in a particular setting where you are um, helping individuals move or do something along those lines. And, and, and let me ask you, um, I remember we were helping our, our principal move at once upon a time, and we had bare Guy rides a motorcycle. He plays guitar here. We also had Quran, and you also had myself, and we're helping trying to get stuff. And um, the, where, where the principal lives is an upstairs, and trying to go up and down the stairs. We tried it a couple of ways, and one of the ways was try to go up, and here's this big guy carrying something big, and here's another big guy trying to carry something big, and none of us can fit in where we need to be. Whereas if you get people at the top of the stairs, bottom of the stairs, someone here, they grab it and you do sort of like an assembly line. I don't know if you've ever done uh, work in a factory or seen factory type work where you see people, this person does this, this person does that, and everything just comes completely together. Have you seen that? Are you familiar with that concept? See, this is very, very important. This is very, very important, and the reason why is because when it comes to sharing Christ with others, you don't have to be the one that takes the individual from the beginning all the way through the end. We all play an important role in a person's life. We all play a particular function, and not all of you have to be the pastor standing up here preaching or the elder praying or the person singing. We can all minister in our own ways, within our own giftedness. We had um, an, a situation this morning. One of our fellow Adventist members was coming from Alabama, was traveling down to um, or, or Orlando for a flight that they're trying to catch first thing tomorrow morning. And their car broke down about 20 miles from here. So I got one of our church's mechanics because, I mean, that's their gift. And we went there and we tried to be a blessing to these individuals. I mean, you could be a mechanic for God. You could be someone at the door greeting for God. You could be a cook for God. You could be a maintenance person for God. Understand that we all don't need to be preachers in order to share the gospel message with others. We can, within our means, within our giftedness, within our joy, witness to people. And and here in the Bible, you have an illustration of an individual which an entire ministry developed because of her Greek name, Dorcas, where she was doing something. And I want you to look at the full story here, beginning on verse 36. It's not a long story, but it is a deep story. And look how it worked out for her. This is Acts 9, 36. And when you have it, say amen. Look what it says. At Joppa, 
there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Verse 37, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had watched her, they lay her in the upper room. 38, and since Leda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Verse 39, then Peter Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Verse 40, but Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Just very short, simple story, a little just uh, pop in there for Tabitha, for Dorcas. And notice how it began in verse 36. And notice later, people were showing the tunics and everything she had made. She had made her her business to give clothing to those that needed and feed those that needed. And that was her job. She was full of good deeds, taking care of the community. Do you know that you can clothe someone for Christ? Do you know that you can feed someone for Christ? I mean, it almost sounds like that parable in Matthew 25 that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And as long as I'm here, I'll keep bringing that parable up because I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was sick, I was in prison, and you took care of me, you fed me, you clothed me. You see, this is the whole thing. In a world that we're in right now, I mentioned to you guys some years ago, uh, I'm sorry, some months ago about how some years ago I went to Kenya. And in Kenya, we had hundreds of people give their life to Christ. Because you see, when you go to a setting where people don't know God, they actually used to worship other gods, if you remember that message. And then when I share with them Christ, they gave their life. But if there's anything worse than no credit is having bad credit. You've already proven somebody trusting you, and you've broken that trust. You see, somebody that I just met brand new, I can extend trust versus somebody who's already broken my trust. Do you see how difficult that is? And when it comes to this world that we're in right now, especially in this side of the country, in the U.S., people struggle with Christians. People struggle with church people. Everybody that gets up here and preaches and says money, oh, those televangelists, all they want is your money. All those church people are full of judgmental stuff and guilt trips and whatever, and they're always pointing fingers. So guess what? Christ has bad credit when it comes to the communities that we're in. And even though people may argue about your church ways, your beliefs, and your doctrines, they cannot argue against who you are as a Christian when you show them who you are. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, quote in the Old Testament, no longer will you tell people to know the Lord, but from the least to the greatest of them, they will see him. Why? Because you get to show them Christ. And so if we as a body begin to do good deeds, not for the sake of salvation, remember you are saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves because it is the gift of God. But understand that other people will see you and say, wow, and you will be very well loved and they will look out for you. And then you tell them, I'm doing this because I serve a mighty God. And you've received by grace, so you give by grace. So picture this individual as church members 
you are able to help others and look out for them. Now notice again verse 36. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Could you imagine that being said about every member in this church? Do you really think anyone in this community will ever have anything negative to say about any Christian or any individual? This is what it means to live out Christ. Now, has anybody here ever gone fishing? Yes? No? Okay. Let me tell you this. There's a lot of things that I do for church members to hang out. See, a long time ago, I asked church members, invite me to your house. I want to come visit. And then I noticed that many of them says, come, 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 come. And then other ones, by the way, watch out for the first one that invites you. It's not always the nicest in the church. It's the one that wants to get your ear and tells you all kinds of things. But there were others that just refused to let me come and visit. And I said, look, we could meet at a restaurant. We could do something. And then suddenly... Other members just start inviting me to do things with them. I've ran marathons with church members just because they wanted to hang out. We, we've done geocaching. We've done various things. We've gone fishing, a lot of fishing with church members. I don't owe any, own any gear. I just go, and I just show up, and I make sure I, bear, I wear my best swimming trunks just in case because, you know, things can always go south, and, and so I'm ready to jump off and do what I need to do, right? But anyhow, fishing, I stink at fishing. I don't know if you notice about me, but I'm a little bit hyper. And to just sit there and just talk. And, you know, when I used to go fishing with my, with my dad and my uncles back in the day, they're not from church. They used to drink, and sometimes they drank more and ate more while trying to catch dinner than anything else. So they pass the time. But I don't drink. I don't smoke. I, you know, when we're out there. So, so just sitting still, and the boat just do this. And you're just the whole time. I mean, seriously, it's, 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 I, I, I struggle with it. However, it's only because you're idle. But when you're catching stuff, it's like, this is exciting. And, you know, you're just, just fighting with this stuff. And, and so here's the thing. When I went to Iceland a couple of weeks ago, we, we, just before our backpacking trip, they took us on a rubber dinghy, and, and they went around the water to watch some whales. And then the guy says, hey, and we'll just throw, you know, the 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 the, the the line down and we'll catch dinner and we'll go and eat it or whatever. I was like, okay. So you know what? He dropped a fake lure, you know, just completely fake, shiny, threw it down and immediately, pow, threw it. It took four minutes to get six different fish. And that was it. I was like, that's my kind of fishing. You throw it down, you're there, you go, it's all exciting. You're fighting, you're wrestling. There's not just waiting for hours. And try to figure out what's going to happen. I love that kind of fishing. It was phenomenal. It was exciting. But I struggle with the other one. And you know what I've learned, though? That when it comes to fishing, at least this particular fishing, it has nothing to do with you and your skill. Once you catch it, if you lose it, that's your skill. You know, let it go, pull, let it go, pull, whatever you need to do there. But, but, but catching the fish has to do with the right lure the right time of the day, the right location, the right setting, the right circumstance. It has nothing to do with the person who's holding the stick. Because, I mean, right now, I could have the best fisherman in the world, and if it's in the wrong place, it's not going to matter. If it's the wrong timing, it's not going to matter. You know, you and I can sit in the same place, and there's no difference if we swap. It does not matter. The right setting, the right place, the right thing, that's what comes together for fishing. And guess what? When it comes to people who are interested in Christ. 
It has to be God's timing and not ours. Boy, do we get in trouble when we try to force something. I told you before about a friend of mine who died a couple of years ago. He spent 25 years married. His wife prayed for 25 years for him to come to the church. And it wasn't until 25 years later that he finally gave his life to Christ and became one of the most strongest leaders, active leaders in the church. But for 25 years, that lady prayed and prayed and prayed. God's timing is amazing. He changed his ways completely. And you are able to do the same thing if you have patience and understand God's timing. So when it comes to your loved ones, just pray. That's the most powerful thing you can do. Remember when I mentioned earlier you could be a greeter at the door or you could be a mechanic for Christ or you could be a preacher or a singer for Christ? Guess what? You could be a prayer warrior for Christ. You don't need to get dressed up. You don't need to knock on awkward doors. You don't need to do any of that. Just sit at home and pray and pray for those individuals. Call them by name. That is the most powerful tool we have, and yet we rarely use it. We use it as the last result. Here I am not knowing how I'm going to eat, and I tried this, I tried that, I borrowed from here, Rob Peter, PayPal, did all those different things, and then when I still can't make it happen, oh God, why wasn't he the first person you spoke with every step of the way? That's how it needs to be. You need to pray to God. Now, uh, the, the other thing too, and, I, and, and I'm giving you this analogy, is when it comes to the fishing analogy before, before I talk about the next one, is this, you have what is called a spiritual interest line. When people, when people first hear about Christ, they have zero interest. And little by little, they become a little bit more interested, just a little bit more, but they really don't become aware of it until they reach about 95%. And once they reach that 95%, that moment is when now you say something to them and they give their life to Christ. You probably may have seen it. Pastors come here and they preach and preach and say something, say something, and nothing happens. Suddenly somebody comes, say something to the individual, now they're ready to get baptized. And you're saying, for years we've waited for this and that, and it just hasn't happened. It's because people have this particular line. This is how we understand how evangelists come and they do a series, and suddenly all these people get baptized. Now, why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Because if you look at the spiritual interest line like chain links, Imagine there's a chain from that wall to that wall over there. And every time they come in contact with a child of God, a new link gets put on, and they move over closer and closer to their spiritual interests. Let me ask you, is any link more important than the other? When you're having a chain, especially if you're dangling from it, is any of those links more important than the other? They're all crucial to reach from this wall to that wall. Each one of us that added a link, each one plays an important role. Maybe I help someone move up from 30% to 31% interested in Christ. Maybe I helped them from zero to one. Maybe I was the one that did from the 94 to 95, and now they want to do Bible studies. Now they want to do whatever it needs to and move forward towards giving their life to Christ. So I need you to understand that because there's a couple of truths that we need to understand this when we, when we reach different people, okay? The very first one is, is as follows, okay? Number one is that they're not really going to show anything until after 95%. They may not even become aware that they're interested in Christ until after 95%. They kind of know that they're curious, they're exploring, checking different things, Googling different things, but they may not know that they're ready to give their life to Christ until they reach that. That's a lot of work that needs to be done from zero to 95. But many of us in our church focus on that 95 to 100%, and we leave all the other areas hanging. And so here's the thing. 
The Spirit is the one that moves people along. People become interested in the Spirit, interested in God as they come in contact with you. And so here's a couple of lessons. Number one, lesson number one, we don't have to be every link in the chain. You don't have to be the entire process. You just need to allow Christ to work in you. And as you rush shoulders with people, you move them from one step to the other. Number two, evangelism is simply a process to help people get closer to that 100%. When you evangelize to people, it's not just get them to the 100, but just get them closer. It doesn't matter. An act of kindness here and there, just sharing a little bit of Christ, it makes a complete difference in people's life. Number three, this is very important. You need to learn to relate to people where they are. You cannot relate to someone who's 37% interested in Christ and treat them like someone who's 97% interested in Christ. By the same token, you can't talk to someone who is 97% you know, spiritual interest in Christ as though they are in 37%. When you get those two mixed is when we get in trouble. You know, the best way that I can tell you this, when I... Um, teach people how to swim. I actually tried to do some lessons before Iceland with my kids. We only got a few in and just been too busy. But, you know, I try to get some swimming lessons in. And when you do the swim lessons, at first it's basics. Just put your face under. You know, teach them that if air's coming out of your nose, water can go up. Because it's always like, you know, it gets up there. You need your hands to swim. You can't swim like this the whole time. So, so you teach it just, mm, you know, and just, just hum, let it out, do what you need to. So, so I teach them the basics. Then it gets really awkward. They could barely get their hands out of the water. And they're just sort of doing this. I said, look, bring your thumb, bring it up to your armpits, right? And once you see the elbow out, then reach out and do it and just get it out there. That's not really how we swim. We don't do this the whole time. But it's just to get them there. Once they get the swimming down pack, once they're experts, then you teach them to maximize your stroke. Your one hand is at 12 o'clock, like if it was a clock. The other one is at 6. They never touch. And then when you enter the water, thumb first, and you do that S shape. You just pull that water and get the moles out if you can. You just, just yank that. But you do step by step. Spiritually speaking, here's the thing. People aren't going to care about the 2300-day prophecy or about Daniel and Revelation if they don't even know how they're going to pay the rent at the first coming up next week. They're not going to care about whether or not you should wear a certain attire to church if they don't even know how they're going to eat next week. And with the whole attire thing, you know, I, I, I told you guys before, I mean, what did Jesus wear before suits were invented? I mean, it's, it's wear some flip-flops and, you know, gown or whatever. I mean, you have to understand the culture. The idea is modesty. Besides that, everything else goes. I'm only wearing this today because it's communion, you know. But, but, but that said, next week I'm going back to my, my short sleeve dressy shirt because it's Florida. I'm not going to wear what they wear over in New England and think that this is sacred. Because when I went to Israel, I mean, to when I went to Kenya, that was the biggest thing that shocked me. They expected the pastor to be in a suit and tie 24-7. If somebody shows up to my door and I dare answer outside of a suit and tie, it is a problem. Because we taught them that that was sacred. In a 145 degree temperature, it is sacred to wear an undershirt, a dress shirt, a tie, and then a suit jacket on top of that. Because that makes a holy man. And so they got it all messed up. I mean, I show you that you guys that from before. So understand, we don't have to worry about these things when I don't even know how I'm going to eat. Pastor, you want me to come in a suit and tie? I can't even buy milk. And you want me to buy a suit and tie? So understand, you wear your best for God. 
And if we have, whatever your best is, just, you know, clean it up, dress it up if you're able to. If you don't have a washer, show up. However it is, it is okay. The fact that you're here is more important than you not being here. The fact that you're here is more important from what you wear. Now, as you grow in Christ, you learn to be a little bit more modest. You learn, ladies, if you need to pull this way or pull this way, maybe you shouldn't be wearing that. If you need to constantly do this as you sit down and it's all weird and awkward, it's probably a little bit too tight. You know, I'll lend you some of my suits. They're really big and huge, and you'll have plenty of coverage if you need to. But understand that you have to focus and really determine who it is that you're ministering to, a 97% or a 37%. You can't get those two mixed up. You cannot get those two mixed up. This is very crucial in understanding the spiritual interest line. And number five, number four, sorry, number four is this. The spiritual links help us understand exactly how it is that evangelists baptize so many people. You see, here's the thing. They mail out 10,000 brochures, and those who don't care about it, eh, they toss it. Those who are interested in it, they all come. They already have that spiritual interest. And when they come, then the evangelists do the reaping, and the interest was already there. That's how they're able to do this. Just because I can't baptize 10,000 people in one message, it doesn't mean anything. It's not a reflection on me necessarily, but it is already the people were when they came to this particular meetings. So that helps us understand that. And then the last one, number five, is that I mentioned this earlier, not one link is more important than the other. Understand your role. Do you know there's a survey out there about churches that people fill out? How easy was it to find their address? What do they have on their website? Is it correct? Do they have the time services? In the parking lot, is it marked clearly where you park, where you don't park? Are the people greeting you at the door? How Are the, the, the signs and bathrooms properly labeled? I mean, the reaching of people begins even from our website before they even set foot in our churches. Before they even do that, it is out there. There's many particular steps. And you as individuals, if you want to know how you're going to reach your coworker, your neighbor, and all of that, it begins in everything and anything and all of the little things. So whatever you do, do your best to represent Christ. Are you representing Christ even when you're firing someone? I had to do that plenty of times before I became a minister. When you have to let someone go, when you have to evict someone, when you have to deal with your neighbor about the fact that he keeps moving your trash can or whatever the case may be, or his branches are on your... I mean, think about it. How are you representing Christ? I want to share with you the last text for today, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And when you have it, say amen. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And here is Christ showing us the importance of understanding the process John Maxwell, a leadership guru, he calls it the law of process. He has 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, and one of those laws is the law of process. But here is Jesus explaining this a bit more. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And when you have it, say amen. Look what it says. John, uh, Mark four twenty-six. Mark four twenty-six. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Verse 27. And should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Verse 28. For the earth yields crop by itself. First the blade, 
then the head, after that the full grain in the head. Verse 29. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Verse 30. Then he says, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? Verse 31. It is like a mustard seed which... When it is sown on the ground, it's smaller than all the seeds on the earth. Verse 32. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Here's again Christ explaining the steps, how everything happens. And it's the same thing with individuals. You never know what kind of seeds you have planted. They may be small like a mustard seed, and you may never know. But as you rub shoulders with people and you contribute towards that, you can see that growth. Maybe not now, perhaps 25 years later like my friend Johnny. But guess what? Your job is to understand the process. Don't get all bent out of shape and ask God, how can he help you today? Help someone just move up one more link in that chain, in that spiritual interest chain. You don't have to get them to the baptistry. You may not even hear them ever give their life to Christ. I have to tell you, we are going to be surprised in heaven when we see how many people came to Christ because of us. And, and I love that. Now, I told you before, my biggest fear is the idea of how many people have rejected Christ because they saw me and they were discouraged. This is why I pray to God daily, Lord, use me for your good, even if it's just a little bit, and not be the source of discouragement. Well, if he's the pastor of that church, why would I even want to go in there? Does that make sense? I mean, I came from a very harsh, aggressive world, finance, negotiating. You, you, are, you are, you know, working with someone and talking them down and, and you're doing these things and you do some cuddles and you do some mean things when, I, when the world that I came from. But then when, as Christ started growing it went in me, I had to find a way to still, you know, be stern because just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a pushover. But just because you're not a pushover doesn't mean you're going to roll over anybody either. And finding that balance between not being a pushover and not rolling over. Oh, mercy. And you have to find a way to do that so that when people see you, they can move one step further in growing in Christ. Now, trying to determine where people are in the spiritual line is very difficult. I'll tell you two quick things, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and I'll give you a challenge and a prayer. But here's the thing. Number one, as you have a relationship with them, you can tell. You see, you meet someone for the first time. I learned this as we were hiring the, the Florida Conference president. Um, you know, some people interview amazingly. They get into that interview and they impress you. They go in there and they say, wow, but then their job performance is disgusting. They can talk a good game, but man, they really can't play that well. And then you have other people who are all nervous and when they try to interview, they don't do that great. But then when they're working, you're saying, wow, can I clone you, please? And, and so, 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 he, so here's the thing. Just having a little bit of a contact with a person is hard to tell where they are. As you really develop a relationship, you can tell where they are in their spiritual interest line. That's the very first one. The second thing that you can do, you could probably ask some questions. If you're trying to get someone, like if somebody looks at the tragedies that are happening, somebody mentioned to me this morning about the fires that are taking place not far from here in this side of the world and, and how chaotic it is. And, you know, when they say something like that, you can say to them, yeah, you know, yeah, I've been praying for them. I, I'm going to pray about it and, and, and you know, just, just put it in God's hands because, man, mercy. And, and just leave it there and see how they respond. They say, yeah, I've been praying about it too. Now you know 
they, they have a connection. They pray. They're interested some way, somehow. Now, now you know that there's something there. Maybe you have a coworker that says, hey, I have been stressing about this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a review next week. Um, this is happening. That's happening. This deadline. And you may say something like, you know, when I'm stressing, I just I read a couple of the Psalms, and that just calms me right out. And listen, see, see what they say. When they, if they respond one way, you know one way. They respond the other, you know the other. But those are little things that you can possibly do. Now, here's the thing. This is not something that you can design. You've ever, you know, Julian, by the way, Julian, welcome. New college student here to FSU. He's joining us. He's doing music professionally. Uh, Julian... I don't play much, but I used to play years ago, right? And, and, and I have to tell you, mu- musicians, this is the, the best thing that I can relate it to. You have musicians who are educated in music but are not naturally gifted. And so when they're educated, here's them counting. One, two, three, four. You know, and they're playing. They're doing whatever. And they're trying to keep the beat because they can't feel it. And if they miss the count, if they miss the count, mercy, they're just all over the place. You know, upbeat, downbeat, and it sounds like a remix, and it's not necessarily good. And then you got people that are just natural. You know, my, my daughter was going to sing last week in Perry, and you know how some music tracks come in high, medium, low? My wife started playing. She started saying, Mom, this doesn't sound right. She picked up that it wasn't the same as the demo. Naturally talented. And so you see the variances between the natural thing and, and the projected thing. Guess what? I get exhausted when I go to places like Mo. And as soon as I opened the door, welcome to Moe's. At first I was like, yes, I'm here. But as I kept going back, I realized they're supposed to do that. And then it just didn't feel natural anymore. And so when you have a relationship with people, m- make sure that it is genuine, that you really want to be interested in people's life, that you really care about the individual. And not just saying, well, Pastor Joey told me to do this. Well, um, man, you know what? I just broke into, well, I'm going to pray about it. Like, you don't have to pray for somebody breaking their nail. That's not going to necessarily cause a concern for whatever. I mean, you could pray about it, but don't go start fishing right away and trying to figure out whether or not somebody's interested. Let it be a natural thing. And the best way that you can love people is to allow God to dwell in your heart so that his love can pour out of you. That's not something you can fake for too long. You, you can't fake that. You could pretend. You can make yourself look good. Like, okay, we did our good deed. I, got, I feel good about myself. I'll, do it. I'll feed the homeless five months from now again. It's not how it's supposed to be. So, so here's my challenge to you, and then I'll pray, and then I'll give you some instructions for communion. Here's the challenge. I want to ask you to pray as individuals, how is it that as a church, we can put more focus in helping people get from zero to 95% interest than just putting all of our time, money, and energy on the 95% to 100%. A lot of times our churches for many years, we're focusing on those who are saying, I'm interested, I'm interested. But what about those who reject the idea, who want nothing to do with your God? How can we put energy in ministering to those individuals from the zero to 95%? That's challenge number one. And number two, I want you to pray to God to put someone in your life this week that you can help them move up just one link. You don't need to finish the process, but just wanting, Lord, present someone. Now, if you want to be bold, I got Crawfordville praying, praying that every day they have at least one person. I'm just asking you to get one between now and next week. 
Okay, and tell me all about it when I come back next week. But I want you to pray for just one individual. If you all do this, what do we have here, 100 people? So that means that's, that's, that's 100 other persons we've touched between now and next week. I mean, we may have more. I'm not counting. But the idea is you could just double that just by asking God to give you just one, that you're able to help move just one link closer to God. Is that fair? Can we ask that? Okay, very well. Let us go ahead and have a word of prayer uh, for this and wrap this up and then I'll tell you about the next part that we're doing. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, this is a very uh, short, simple, plain message. We just went to two different sections in scriptures, but it's still very, very important nonetheless. It is very important, Father God, because we should not be getting frustrated just because we reach to our neighbors, our co-workers, and they're not getting ready to jump in the baptistry head first. We need to recognize, Father God, that people are at their different walks and there's a timing. And you are sovereign. You know the timing. We need to know, Father God, that you are the one who said that no one comes to you, Christ Jesus, unless the Father draws them to you. So, Lord, we don't have to be salesmen. We don't have to be saints. And we don't have to be the entire process. Help us where we are to be ambassadors of you, to minister to people from our giftedness, whether or not we are sowing tunics for someone, sowing tunics in the name of Jesus, whether or not we're greeting people in the name of Jesus, whether or not we are mechanics in the name of Jesus or singers in the name of Jesus, whatever we may do, wherever it may be, that we can do it to your honor and glory. This week, Father God, I want to ask that you send at least one individual that we can help move further up in that spiritual interest chain so that they're able to move closer to you and eventually give their lives to you because after all, you are a God who loves your son and your son is coming back to come and take us home. You loved us so much that you gave him to die for us, but he's coming back yet again. And many people out there have no idea of the great sacrifice that was made. So Father God, I want to ask in your hands that you take every individual here. We want to put them in your hands and ask that you present them with the right opportunity. We thank you for the great works that you're going to do in us and through us for the benefit of all. Bless us and keep us right now. In your name we pray. Amen.